Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 10. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Join me and my co-host, James Sumners, as we continue a series in which we're discussing passages of Scripture that are so much more than children's Bible stories. On today's show, we discuss the biblical account of Jonah. The Crosstalk Podcast is not a sermon, a Bible class, or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope you'll find edifying and that will encourage you to have these types of spiritual conversations with people in your life. And now let's jump right into that conversation. You know, Jonah's a, Jonah is a book that, for the most of my life, it's been one of those books where it's kind of like, what, what is this about? Like, what is this really, like, why is this even in the Bible? To a certain degree, you read it, especially if you come at it from the perspective of a children's story. It's like, what can you learn? Because the, the character, the main character as far as people in this story, it's it's not good. There's never, there's not a happy ending. There's not a, like, and he was faithful the rest of his days. Or um, you look at the character in there and... There's a lot you can learn, but it's not like you learn from the positive aspects of what this guy mm-hmm. did, really. Um, maybe at a certain point uh, we can get there, but but for the most part, he's not a character that at the end of the story you're like, you know, I want to be like Jonah. I want to be. I want to be a faithful man. Like, no, no, it's not quite. That's not quite it. Yeah, it ends it ends so abruptly. And and I think that's a good reminder that it's not about Jonah. And and I think maybe this is one of the best stories stories Sam would get onto us if I call it a story. Uh the best biblical accounts where we can we can remember that none of the accounts are really about the main character. They're more about God and his people. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I try to remind myself no matter what biblical account I'm reading. This is about God and his people. But this story in particular is a reminder that while God loves his people and they have a special place in his plan and he's doing something with them and for them, that God is still the God of heaven and earth. God God knows and cares about all people. God loves all people. God created all people. He's not like the false gods that are the gods of a certain region. He is, he is the God of all nations. And... And I think that that's, that's part of this account, and, and that's something we never talk about when, when we talk to kids. You know, we we really water it down when we make it just about, about well, Jonah was told something to do, and he did the opposite, and so we need to mind God, you know, obey God. But obey then, God, yeah. you know, and, and that's what we normally do. We usually end it before chapter four. We usually end it at chapter three because, so that it has a happy ending. I mean, I probably, I don't know how old I was before I even knew that there was a, re- a rest of the story. And we still don't know what the rest of the rest of the story is. But <laughs> but before I even knew there was a chapter four, it, it was always, you know, Jonah disobeyed God. He got thrown into the water, the, the big fish. We could talk about that in a minute. But, uh, you know, the big fish swallows him. And then, you know, he prays to God and repents. And then he goes and he preaches to the people. But then in the end of the book, you know, he's angry that God has forgiven them. And I, I don't know that I was ever taught that as a kid, because how do you teach that to kids? Especially if your main emphasis is don't disobey God, obey God. See, Jonah disobeyed God, and then he repented, and he obeyed God. The end. Happy ending, and and that's not how the story ends. It is, I mean, and it, and it's so odd in a sense. It just like, 
But how how much like Jonah are we? I mean, do we really want the those other people to be mm-hmm. saved? Do we want those um, godless people to be saved? Do we want um, do we want people from completely different religions like like uh, um, Islam or um, Hinduism or you know people who are completely pagan? I mean, sure, sure, we want denominations to be saved. Yeah, yeah, because they they believe in the, they basically believe in the same God that we do, but. Those other, those pagans, do we really want them? Well, they want to kill us. Do we really want, I mean, this that's the same. I mean, if you really want to get down to it, what is Nineveh to, to Israel? They're like, they're like our uh, uh, Islam and Muslims. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want, they want to end us. And, and in the same sense, that's, I mean, that's the way Israelites look at them at the, at Nineveh. And so, you know, that's the attitude that Jonah has. It's like, I don't, want to save these people i want their destruction mm-hmm. you you're preaching you, you're telling me that in in what is it 40 days or 30 days i forget um and you're you're going to be destroyed that's his that's his message it's not necessarily a happy message i'm sure there's more to it than that to a certain degree but the bible just basically says 30 days and and you'll be destroyed and so uh but but uh isn't that I mean, an interesting thought just to, I mean, cause we, so we want, we want revenge. We want, mm-hmm. we want to, to stop the people who are going to try to hurt us. And, and that's Jonah's attitude. And when God says, Hey, go preach to these people who want to kill you. Um, he doesn't want to do it. And mm-hmm. that's, that's understandable to a certain degree. Um, it's, it's understandable, but when God says do it, that's not the attitude that we should have. And you know, another way that we water it down for kids is that um, I grew up thinking that Jonah was afraid of the Ninevites. And in fact, in the the um, VeggieTales version of the, we were just singing the VeggieTales Jonah song, but um, we won't include that on the podcast. Um, but 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 Jonah was a he was afraid of getting slapped with fish, you know, and and that and that's kind of why he's afraid to go to Nineveh. And my whole life, that's kind of how it was presented to me was that Jonah was afraid of the Ninevites, and that's why he didn't go. Not that he hated their guts and he wanted to see them burn. And I think that it's like you said, I I have heard far too many Christians say about the Middle East that it would be better if we just nuke the whole Middle East. You know, they, they would never repent anyway. And we need to just nuke the whole thing, just make a parking lot out of the Middle East and um, and just be done with them. And what a heartbreaking thing to say. I mean, not only does that show a total disregard for the gospel and what Christians' mindset ought to be towards people of other nations and our desire to bring them the gospel and the truth, whether they're willing to listen or not— but it also is a rejection even of the Old Testament, even of an understanding of who God is and what God's will is. Um, and and it's it's heartbreaking to hear Christians say things like that. And when you think of thinking forward to the Beatitudes, one of the one of the Beatitudes is blessed are those who mourn. And we we talk about different things in relationship to that, uh, whether it's physical mourning or spiritual mourning or uh, recognizing my sin, but just, I mean, I think I've been wondering about that lately. If it's not just a matter of, I mean, Jonah did not concern himself with the state of other people besides Israel. It wasn't, it wasn't a concern to him. He he didn't care. He didn't care that they're not God's people. 
So I'm not going to worry about their salvation. I'm not going to concern myself. And God's message at the end of the of the book is, well, look at how many thousands of people are here. Should I not be concerned with these people? I created them and I created you. What's the difference between you and them? You were born in a different place than they were. I mean, like I didn't get to choose my parents. I didn't get to choose parents who were Christians. I didn't get to choose parents who would teach me the word of God. I didn't get to choose where I was born. And so when I think it's like, well, well, hey, I'm a Christian. It's like, well, so what? Who how did you get to be a Christian? Because somebody loved you and taught you the word of God. If if I don't think about it that way, I'm gonna have an attitude like Jonah say, Well, I'm special because I'm one of God's people. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you get to be God's people, Jonah? Did you did you do something special to become his his one of his uh, people? No, you were born into his people, and someone taught you about his way, and God chose you to be a prophet. Good job, way to go. That's way to go. You you are so special, but but that's not. I mean, that's just not it. You know, one thing that really surprises me is we often talk about God in the Old Testament as a God that is is that we we don't see His grace and His mercy. But what's so interesting is that in Jonah chapter four. Um, he says that that's why I didn't go. He says, uh, verse two, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We forget that not only are those kind of things said throughout the Old Testament, but that Jonah was very much aware of that. Jonah knew very well that God was a merciful God and that if these people repented, then then God would, would forgive him. And he, he didn't want that. And and knowing Nineveh being the capital of Assyria, and and we now see the big picture and understand that Assyria would eventually destroy Israel. They would eventually um, take them off into captivity, and they would they would end up destroying the nation. And perhaps maybe even Jonah knew that. I mean, perhaps he knew what was as a prophet. You know, perhaps he knew what was coming. And and at that point. It probably wasn't hard to see the the writing on the wall, so to speak, that that's what was coming. And to see your nation's greatest enemy and an enemy that is quite capable of destroying your people, and especially if you knew that eventually they would destroy your people, for you to even think, yeah, my God is so merciful and kind that he'll probably extend mercy and kindness to them too. Jonah knew that about God. It wasn't like he was under this you know, misguided perception that said, oh, well, I'm sorry, God, I didn't realize you wanted to extend mercy to them. He's like, no, I knew that's exactly the kind of God you are, because that's how you treat me, and I didn't want you to treat them like you treat me. And that's one of the amazing things that we so often, we don't comprehend that in in a lot of ways, we we intellectually um, consider the God of the New Testament to be a different God than of, mm-hmm. than the one of the Old Testament, because we have Jesus, and Jesus is so much more. I mean, in a sense, like you were talking this morning in, uh, in your in your sermon, that the the world teaches is happy, loving Jesus, and he is mm-hmm. he is loving, and he is kind, and he is merciful, and he is everything wonderful. But he's also a just God. Mm-hmm. He's also a just. I mean, he didn't he didn't go in. Like smiling in the temple, say, "Hey, I'm gonna throw over your tables." Yay! <laughs> you know, that's not. That's, <laughs> sorry, that's a strange picture I just painted for myself. I apologize, um, but but he he is consistently the same. You know, you look at you go forward. I guess backwards from Jonah, 
uh, probably to uh, the time of, um, was it Elijah, when I think it's the Syrians, um, but one of the, the kingdoms is coming in and they're, um, they said, well, there's a, there's a prophet and he knows what's going on in your bedroom. I guess it's Elisha, but anyway, he knows what's going on in your bedroom, so we need to go take him out. And then what happens? They come to the, and there's a big, there's a great story there. I mean, a great event to to talk about the his faithfulness and and a lot of things that go on there. But um, one of the things that I always love about that story at the end is God blinds the the army, and the army is that they're at the mercy of Israel, and they're like, "What do we do? Well, we take them. Let's take them to the king, and we take them to the king, and the king's terrified. He's like, "What do I do? What do I do with these people?" He says, feed them, take care of them. And like, that's the same thing that Jesus says, take care of your enemies, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And, and the same thing here, God is teaching us the same thing and recognizing all mankind love them as I love them. Recognize that they need what you have. If you are blessed by God, if you have received the mercy of God, give the mercy of God. Don't treat people as if they're undeserving of God just because they're not you or because they're not in your family. That we have, and, and and I say that sometimes I speak very confidently about things like this, and I say that as if it's so easy, but it's it's natural for me to choose not to do that. Maybe not natural, but it's easy for me to choose to to be. You know, it's well, I I like this kind of person, and I want them to go to heaven. Or I may not say that, but I'll at least act that way. And and how much better would it be if we taught our kids this whole story in the right context? I mean, again, it, it amazes me how few of these stories that really emphasize a departure from racism or nationalism or this idea that my people group, my ethnic group are better than your ethnic group, this idea of Jew and Gentile both in the Old Testament and especially in the New Testament, that that wall is broken down in the New Testament, how often we fail to teach that lesson to our kids and help them to understand. And and that's the brutal world that we have always lived in, that there are always going to be people that treat other people differently because of who they are, where they came from, what they look like, um, but that God doesn't want us to treat people like that. God wants us to love all people and treat them with kindness and love and to teach them about God, help them to come to know God. And and isn't that amazing that we don't use this opportunity? That's really what the story of Jonah is about. And and our kids could absolutely grasp that. But instead, we we make it just about, we'll do what God says. Well, okay, let's specifically talk here about what does God say? God says, don't be a racist, you know? And I mean, and and we really ought to take that opportunity to share with our kids that we don't treat people differently just because they come from a different kind of family than we come from. We don't treat people differently because, um, you know, even if they're mean to us or they've been mean to us in the past or we're afraid they might be mean to us in the future, we don't treat them differently. We still love them. We treat them with kindness. And Jonah didn't want to do that. Jonah didn't want to go to them because they weren't his people. They weren't They weren't from his family. They didn't look like them. They didn't dress like them. And they hated them. And, you know, they, they both wanted to kill each other. And so Jonah didn't want to go and talk to them and show them God's love and kindness. But we, we need to do the opposite of Jonah. There's very few prophets, like you said, that 
were, were trying to do the opposite of what they did, except for two chapters in the middle where he, you know, he was doing fairly good. And then think about Jesus uses the, uses Jonah as an, uh, as a quote sign. I mean, he, it's, I love that, 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 uh, when, when people say, well, Hey, tell us, uh, tell us, uh, give us a sign, show us a sign. So we know that you're the son of God. And he says, well, you, you want a sign? Well, I'll show you a sign. Um, Jonah, three days in the well, fish, um, and and uh, and and then um, you know, but but what is what is the? Uh, I've been one thinking about this um, as we've talked about doing this discussion. What is the significance of Jonah and three days in the well? Jesus three days in the in the, in, uh, in the tomb. And thinking about that, I mean, this is a different direction, but in a sense, Jonah is kind of the savior of Nineveh, mm-hmm. and and he is such a reluctant savior. And so many times, I mean, you think of Elijah. There's times when Elijah's a reluctant savior for the the Israelites, as far as he brings the word to them, but he's terrified. He's not. He's not enough, and he knows he's not enough. His he, the reason he runs is somewhat different, but. Uh, it is different, but uh, um, so many times we, uh, well, uh, I don't know what I'm, I lost my train of thought. Well, I mean, that's an amazing thought because it, here you have Jesus and all throughout the Old Testament, I don't know how much they're waiting for this seed of Abraham, this singular seed that's going to be the seed of Abraham that's going to be a blessing to all mankind. Um, you know, obviously they're looking for a king. They're looking for a a ruler of, from the the tribe of Judah. But um, but it's interesting to think about. I mean, in a sense, uh, Jonah is he is a a seed of Abraham, and he he goes and and God sends him to be a blessing to another nation of mankind. Um, but but what a horrible. Mm-hmm. example of a savior and and Jesus is the better Jonah and you could go through so many biblical accounts and say um here's some ways that Jesus was like Joseph but Jesus is the better Joseph you know and here's the ways that Jesus is like Moses but Jesus is the better Moses and here's the ways that Jesus is like Abraham but Jesus is the better Abraham and so you could go through almost every account you know in scripture and and point out those things but it's interesting so God sends Jonah to the other nations, you know, to bless them, but he runs in the opposite direction and mm-hmm. and and ends up having to be punished by God, whereas Jesus is sent by God and he does exactly the Father's will. He is the perfect prophet. He is the one who who doesn't have a pity party, who doesn't say, I'm not going to do things your way, as so many of the prophets did. Even the good ones, you know, had those moments where they didn't want to do the Father's will. But the Son of God always wants to do the Father's will. And then he spends three days or yeah, three days in the in the in the darkness, in the tomb, so to speak. And then there's a resurrection. And and then he goes and he is a blessing to this other nation of mankind, but he does so reluctantly still yet. I mean, his heart is still not where it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. But but think about how many resurrection stories there are in Scripture. I mean, y- you could talk about Joseph, and there's a sense in which Joseph is a resurrection story. I mean, he was thrown into the pit by his brothers. Jesus was thrown into the pit by his brothers, and he came out alive. God brought him out alive. You could talk about the entire nation 
of Israel was thrown into the darkness of slavery, and and then they came out alive. And so you see that over and over again throughout Scripture, how someone is all but dead, and yet God brings them to life in order to bless others. And and even Joseph, I mean, that's a, another great example. I mean, he was a blessing. He was the seed of Abraham, but yet he was a blessing not just to the Israelites, but he was a blessing to the Egyptians oh, as well. Egyptians, he yeah. saved them as well. And like you said, he, um, Jonah was a savior of the Ninevites. Joseph was a savior of the Egyptians. Um, but but Jesus is the savior of all nations of mankind and is the better savior on every on every facet. And that makes you think of like Hebrews and um, mm-hmm. how God, I mean, Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is a better high priest. He's he's a better everything. Mm-hmm. Whatever you think you can hold on to that 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 was good before, Jesus is better, and and he is he is in the flesh, God, the the merciful God that Jonah feared, doing good to to another nation. He is the one who who embodies everything that that is God. He is God in the flesh. And and he lives lives out the same thing that God would do, mm-hmm. and, and and teaches the way God. I mean, there's so many things that, you know, that again we talked about um, the difference between how how people conceive of a difference between God and the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's just amazing how how if you look at everything that Jesus teaches, there is not it is not absent from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and, and and Jesus brings to light everything that in the old testament w- was was confusing. I mean, why would you why on earth would you want to take care of your th- these people who are trying to to kill you? Why would you want to save them? Well, to like you mentioned earlier, well it it was possibly to a certain degree to delay the I mean, I mean it 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 not necessarily um, maybe maybe maintain the the nation so that they could wipe out Israel later on. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and that's weird. Do we want to talk about that? Do we want to go there that God actually plans for the destruction of His people mm-hmm. in, in a sense of like, hey, the day's coming when you are not gonna when you aren't following me. The curses are there. I've already told you. I don't have to tell you again. It's like with our children. We we tell them something, and so many times we want to tell them again and tell them again and tell them again. But mm-hmm. God doesn't really do that as much. I mean, I guess to a certain degree He does with the prophets, but. He doesn't beat it into them. He just says, "Hey, I've told you this is what it is." And when the curses come, you know that that's what happens. But God is working through another, and it's just like um, Isaiah and so many other prophets. Like, look, I can use whoever I choose to use. I can use a reluctant reluctant prophet. I can use a foreign nation. I can use anybody, anything. I can use a fish. I can use the 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 rains and the winds and the waves. I can use it all because it obeys my will mm-hmm. and it does what I want. Whether it's whether it looks right to you or not, it's not you to judge. It's for me to judge because I am God. And 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 that's another thing that this story teaches is it's like the it reminds you of the of Jesus calming the seas. Uh, reminds you of his power over the fish in the sea is how that as they go to catch fish and they're not catching any fish, and then Jesus says, "Hey, cast it on the other side." Mm-hmm. You know, it shows again God's power, God's power in over all things, all things, not just not just His His will and His way, but but just He created it all. 
He controls it all, and it will do his will, and it will follow his bidding um, to a certain degree. And you know, and and we've kind of touched on this several times in our discussion already, but but that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. You know, mm-hmm. that, that Jesus was right there with the Father all of this time. And I was just thinking, you know, I wonder how when God spoke to the prophets, I mean, what part did Jesus play in that? I mean, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, John 1, all says that, I mean, they had the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all had this perfect unity since the beginning of time, and that everything that exists, exists by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. And so he was a part of the creation event. So it's funny that we so we so associate the God of the Old Testament with the Father. And then when we get to the New Testament, mm-hmm. then we say, well, now the Father and the Son, like Jesus was just off kind of in the corner. And then it's like, okay, now it's your turn, buddy. Let's, uh, you know, you jump into the picture. When it he wasn't that way. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but in reality, it's almost like the voice from heaven in the Old Testament is this symphony of voices or trio of voices, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit communicating to the prophets. And and even when when we kind of see that Trinitarian God, you know, kind of played out, it's God says, shall we and let us, you know, and so he's speaking to to all three. But but why is it that we assume that's the Father rather than that's the Son or that's the Spirit or that's all three of them in this symphony of voices where they communicate as one, the three as one? And that that's what the doctrine of the Trinity teaches us, that the three are one, have been one, and that the only time that there was any sort of a separation between them is when the, when the, the Son left uh, the Father's side and came to earth. And so— it's interesting to think of it that way, to think that Jesus, the Son, and the Father, and the Holy Spirit said to Jonah, you know, go, and I'm going to destroy them. We don't want to think of Jesus that way. You know, so so often we we kind of pit Jesus against the Father, and like, like the Father is this angry, vengeful God, and that Jesus is holding back his arm from, from punishing us as we deserve, when that's not the case at all. It's the Godhead had this plan all along, whereas the Son at the perfect time would come to earth to be the atoning sacrifice for mankind's sin, but they were all part of that plan. It wasn't like Jesus suddenly jumped in front of the lightning bolt to keep the Father from destroying <laughs> us, you know, like like Jesus is the good guy and good cop, bad cop kind of thing. It's not that way at all. And so when when God is merciful in the Old Testament, it is the the Trinity God. It is the triune God that is merciful. And when he is judgmental and when he destroys and when he brings about wrath and judgment, it is the triune God that does so. And they always work in perfect unity and harmony. It's just amazing what you, I mean, everything that you just said was just painted amazing pictures in my head. I really, I don't, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Sorry. Before, before, before we're done though, I, I do want to say that it, it irks me. I'm not sure. I don't use the word irks very often, but it irks me that, uh, that we get so caught up my whole life. I, you know, I've been heard the argument, you know, is it a fish or is it a whale? 
And that just really, uh, it amazes me that we spend so much time discussing it. And it, it was something, you know, I mean, it was some kind of a sea beast. I don't think that the Hebrew word that describes it in the Old Testament or the Greek word, especially in the New Testament, is definitive. I don't know that they made that kind of a distinction between a fish and a mammal that lived in the sea. Um, we understand now, of course, that a and whale is technically not a fish, but I don't know that they would have made that distinction with the word that they used. Um, but it's amazing how we spend so much time talking about that, and we miss all of these things that we've talked about, and how how we do that with so many different Bible stories. We do that with so many different accounts in Scripture, where we get so caught up in the number of people and the number of things, and and it's like, wow, we really miss the forest for the trees sometimes, and and that's. You know, yes, if we have all the time in the world, we can sit around and talk about is it a fish or a whale, but as long as we're still dealing with racism in the world, as long as we're still de- dealing with understanding the triune God, let's talk about those things that are more significant than whether it was a fish or a whale. Weightier matters. Mm, yeah. So many times we, we do, in all these stories, there's a lot that we could get caught up in with, with Noah. You know, could it, could you really fit that mm-hmm. many animals on that boat? Um, or with with David, I mean, could you really kill a giant or could you kill a, somebody with a stone or could you, you know, could you really, could this really happen this way? Uh, and, and the fact of the matter is, I mean, we spend so much time on trying to explain all these things and, mm-hmm. and yet, and, and to a certain degree, that's, that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right. but when as adults to a certain degree, like what you're saying, what we do many times as adults is instead of considering this the event and story for what it is we look at these little the minutia the little these little things mm-hmm. and we make that significant whether it's a well or you know how you know when the really what it was doesn't really matter it's amazing that god sent this this fish this thing to swallow him in the first place he was there ready to swallow jonah mm-hmm. the seas stopped I mean, why are we so concerned about these things like that? Uh, we distract ourselves from the focus of the story, which is love God's people, God's creation, like mm-hmm. God does. Consider them mourn for those who are lost, like God does. When He looks at all of the the people in Nineveh, He doesn't say, "Well, look at all these despicable people." I can't really. I'm just giving them an opportunity because I'd feel bad if I didn't. No, that's not, God's God's like. I love my creation. I love them. I didn't create them to destroy them. I created them because I love them. And if they're not doing what's right, I want to send somebody to do something about it. Why would I not care for what I've created? Why would I not care for what I love? And then Jonah, who is one of those who is loved, looks at what God created and loves and says, I don't care. You love me. That's what I care about. You love me. You don't. I don't care what you think about them. I don't want you to love them. I want you to love me. And 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 how ridiculous that is that in and, that moment. When and you isn't think about it so that. amazing that he gets so caught up in and so angry about the plant that dies because of the worm that ate it. He gets so <laughs> angry about that, and God says, "Man, you're missing the big picture. There are people that are going to die." And and we get so caught up in fisher whale, fisher whale, fisher whale, and there are people dying and going to hell. And we're more concerned about whether it was a fish or a whale than applying the story of Jonah to our life and reaching out to people with the good news. 
A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McElgay for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review on iTunes so others can be encouraged as well. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.